This is the Life Church Podcast. For more messages, to watch our live stream, or to find other events, go to lifechurchnow.org. Well, today we're going to kick off a series, a new series called A New Year, New You. Now, it's not very creative, actually, New Year, New You, because the truth is, is that if you turn on the TV, you're going to find, I saw yesterday, a, uh, a, a cell phone a cell phone commercial that was using that tagline, new year, new you, you know? And so um, this is a very common theme. It's a very, everybody feels this. Everybody thinks about this around the new year's time, you know? It's appropriate for us actually today to be here and some of you thinking, yeah, I want, I mean, 2018 was not bad or maybe it was terrible, whatever, but It's 2019 now, and I want something new, something fresh. I want a new me. And so it's appropriate for us to be talking about this, and it's probably appropriate that many of you are thinking that way. And so when we think about a new me, oftentimes it is our our take, it is our way of looking at this idea. We look at it from a, a, a completely external perspective, Right? Like it's 2019 and I want, you know, I just want a new house. If I could just have a new house, life would be better. If I could have a a new job, man, a new job would make things so much better. Maybe a new budget. Maybe last year was just a very difficult year financially and, and you look into 2019. You want a new budget. You want something different. Maybe it's a new body. Or maybe you look at 2019 and you think, man, relationally, things were really, really difficult. Relationally, and you might keep this a secret, but you might be saying, I need a new husband. (laughs) I need a new wife. I don't know. You might be feeling that way. And it's oftentimes the way we look at it is we see it from an external perspective. This idea of change we think happens when we can change our circumstances, when we can change the things around us. That if I just lost weight, I would be so much better. And I'm not saying that those things are not important. Yes, you need to make some of those changes. But you need to understand something as well. Because we wrongly think, we wrongly think that real change happens from the outside in. But real change happens actually from the inside out, not from the outside in. That's why I can say with confidence, 2019, 2019 will be the best year of your life. That's a bold statement. 2019 will be the best year of your life. But then there's a little conditional clause to that. If, if it's your best year spiritually. It can be the best year of your life if it's your best year spiritually. And I really believe this. We were singing a song Chains come down. I can't remember the words, lyrics anymore, but we were singing a song, and I was just thinking, yeah, that's what 2019 is going to be. There's some of you right now that are in bondage. There's chains. Maybe it's drug addiction. Maybe it's a relational bondage. Whatever. Those chains are going to break in 2019 if, if, if it's your best year spiritually. And so that's what we're going to chase after, right? Well, so today I want to... I want to talk a little bit about that. I want to explain a little bit why this is, why this happens. Because too often we spend our lives in, in the external changes that we're looking for. We're, just, we're searching for happiness. We're searching for so much. And it all circles around the, the circumference of the external in our lives. But here's what you need to know. Here's something that you need to understand. Your life, 
Your life is driven not by what you know. Your life is driven not by what you know. The choices you make, the, uh, the, the, the decisions you, you, you've made, is not because you have knowledge at your disposal necessarily. We think that way. We think that that's what it is. But your life is driven not by what you know, but it's driven by what you desire. There's this tension between desire and knowledge in our lives. It's driven by what you desire. Our motivations, our motivations, our choices come from a place of desire, not necessarily from a place of information. Because the truth is we live in the information age, right? There's never been a day where you have access to more information than the day that we live in. Just get on the computer, a few keystrokes, and man, you have so much information. You can't even contain all the information that's at your disposal right now. And yet, statistically speaking, people are less happy. How is that? We have all kinds of information. In fact, if you search how to be happy on the internet, you'll probably come up with millions of hits of people trying to explain how you can be happy. We have all that information at our disposal, and yet you go to bed at night unhappy. We have all this information, we have all this knowledge, and yet we're not treating others with more kindness. And that's because your life is not driven by what you know, it's driven by what you desire. And the truth is that you understand that, you get that. Some of you in this room, you get that. You know what it's like to be driven by your desires. You know what it's like to, to be making decisions in life and realize those are not the right decision. Paul, in fact, the Apostle Paul, in one of his passages, probably one of the most relatable passages that he's shared with us, and, and I love how Romans 8 follows up with that, but I'm not going to get into that. But it's what he says in Romans 7.15. He says, I don't really understand myself. You ever felt that way? Like Paul, the Apostle Paul said, I don't really understand myself. Like, have you ever like, made a bonehead decision? And you're like, okay, I, like, I know I have knowledge, even before I made the bonehead decision, that it was going to be a bonehead decision. I don't get it. Why? And you ask yourself this question. And maybe I'm the only one ever asking myself this. Why did I do that? Why am I doing such a dumb thing? Paul says, I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. And I love, like I said, Romans 8 follows up and says, there's therefore now no condemnation that we have an advocate for us. But anyways, I'm not going to get into that. But the reason why we ask those questions, the reason why we ask ourselves, why did I do this? Because information alone is not enough. We've got to deal with this thing called desire. It's not enough to change you. As human beings, we are beings of desire. And it's just natural. It's the way God created us. We can't resist that. We just, we're not robots. We're not meant to be robots. We're not just walking around basically mindlessly doing whatever God tells us to do without ever questioning or wondering. We are beings of desire. Like, like if you've already fallen off your diet plan, you know, it's like the third week in January. You had a plan. I mean, you, you set out to it. You're like, I have knowledge. I have information. I've even got material that I've printed. We're going to, I mean, you got stuff on the, in your bathroom on the wall. You got a, you know, like a, you bought a scale. You've done everything. You got a plan. You have knowledge. 
And you're going to do it. You're going to lose weight. You're going to eat. You're going to eat right. You're going to get fit. You're going to do all of these things, you know. And then you're at work one day. You're sitting there, and your friend, your co- 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 colleague, walks in and says, "Hey, I brought pizza from whatever." You know, and you're like, "It's my favorite slice of pizza," you know. And you've already fallen off, fallen off the wagon. And the reason why? The reason why is that we are beings of desire. That if knowledge was enough, we would be able to. We'd be able to just do everything that God calls us to do, commands us to do. You see, here's what you need to understand. Desire sits in a driver's seat of your life. It's a very, com- very ordinary statement there. N- knowledge, knowledge, information is over here in the passenger seat. But desire is over here in the driver's seat. I- I've had the, the scary Scary privilege of teaching all four of my kids how to drive. <laughs> um, you know, and, and so, and you get that. Some of you here are like, yeah, I've taught my kids. It's totally scary, you know, to teach your kids how to drive. Uh, and so, you know, you know, they're 15 years old. You hand them the car keys, and, and then all of a sudden, you're like, you do that. You ever done that little weird shuffle where you, like, walk into the driver's side, and all of a sudden you realize that they're holding the keys, and they're trying to get in the driver's side? Oh, yeah, okay. So then you go to the passenger side. They get in the driver's seat, and your tension is starting to mount. <laughs> and then you get in the passenger seat, and you're like, you, you have the, the typical dad who's teaching a 15-year-old how to drive kind of posture. You're gr- gripping everything, like, all right, let's go, you know, <laughs> scared to death. When I was teaching my daughter how to drive, we, we uh, were driving down Holiday, um, Holiday Road in, in Corville here, and uh, the place where we were going, it was kind of downhill, you know, we were going downhill, and she was going to speed limit, 25 to 30, somewhere around there she was driving, you know, and she's going, kind of going to speed limit down the hill, but we were coming up on the turn where we were supposed to turn left, and, uh, and I'm over here in the passenger side, like I said, in my, in my posture, you know, holding on, and, and, and I said, okay, you, you, you know, we're turning at that street, so dad, you know, typical 15, dad, I know what I'm doing, you know, I've been driving, this, I've been driving for six months already, I know what I'm doing, <laughs> like, oh gosh, and so, and so, you know, we're driving down this, and I'm like, and I'm thinking, we're coming up on our turn, and you're not slowing down, you know, and I say, we're gonna, and, and she knows that she's supposed to turn, because that's the only way you get out of our neighborhood, and so we're coming up on that turn, and I'm not kidding you, she took that thing probably about 25 miles per hour, I mean, practically on two wheels, I'm like, Jesus, Mary, Joseph, I mean, I'm like calling out to everybody, because I'm like, help me, stop this car, <laughs> So we pull over, and she's just, and like she has the audacity to look at me and say, what? What's wrong? I said, we were on two wheels back there. We were, that's not how you drive, you know? But here's the point. Here's my point. Okay, I know it's going on too long. My point is this. I was in a passenger seat. I have 40 years of driving experience. I know exactly what she was supposed to. I knew that as she was approaching that turn, she needed to be letting off the accelerator, t- lightly tapping on the brake. I knew that she needed to flick her, her, her turn signal on. I knew that she needed to do all that stuff. But here's the problem. I was powerless because I was in the passenger seat. She was in the driver's seat. She was driving the vehicle. And that's in many ways how it is for us. That's how our desires work. Your brain is over there telling you, hey, don't do that. Hey, don't, don't, don't do that. Don't, 
don't go there. <laughs> hey, don't call that guy back. But your desires over here say, woo, let's go. I can't tell you a number of times that I've like blown up with Christy, my wife, and um, said things that were very hurtful to her. All the while, my brain tell me, Rich, don't say that. Don't say that. It's wrong. You should not say that. But in my, my desires, but she needs to know that she's wrong and I'm right. You know, and anyways, guys, if you've been married for any length of time, this doesn't work. So just don't try that. But anyways, your desires drive you. So if you want to ever want to know why you do the things that you do, then you need to look at this old thing called desire. Here's another way we can look at it. Um, behavior is tied to your heart. Behavior, how you act, what things you do is tied to your heart. Now, we often go, go through life. In fact, that's what New Year's resolutions are all about, behavior modification. We go through life basically trying to modify our behavior. But if we don't pay attention to this thing called desire, it becomes this endless cycle of behavior modification, lapses in behavior modification, disillusionment back to behavior modification. And then we spend year, in fact, that's, like I said, that's what New Year's resolutions are all about is I did it, I made a resolution last year and I kind of fudged a little bit, so I'm going to make a new resolution. And you go in this endless cycle without really dealing with the, the root of the problem. It's to the heart. Behavior is tied to your heart. And biblically speaking, your heart is tied to whatever you worship. Behavior is tied to your heart. Your heart is tied to whatever you worship. So when I say the word worship, I'm, I know we oftentimes call the singing part of a church service worship, and that's worship, kind of, but I'm actually speaking even more than that. I'm talking about what we pursue, what we give our lives over to, what, we're, what we love, what we're passionate about. Martin Luther, the great reformer, said this, whatever your heart clings to, so whatever your heart clings to and confides in, that really is your God. Whatever you're passionate for, whatever you love, that whatever you're pursuing, that's your God. And you know, throughout the Old Testament, we see this. There's this thing called idolatry in the Old Testament. And if today, you think of idolatry, and that's not doesn't apply to us. We don't have idols that we worship. We don't have things like that hanging on a wall that we that we adore and worship. We don't do that, and yet we do. You see, over and over again in the Old Testament, story after story where. The children of God, the children of Israel were worshiping God and then suddenly they would start worshiping Asher poles or, or they'd make themselves little figurines of Baal or they'd actually just worship Baal altogether and they'd have these sacrifices, these burnt sacrifices to other gods. And it was just incredibly offensive to God. The Bible tells us that God is a jealous God. You may have heard that before, right? He doesn't really want us worshiping anybody or anything else but him. And it's not these kind of like this capricious, jealous boyfriend. That's not what, why he says that. That he's, you know, just only worship me. You know, no, you can't. You're looking at him. You know, that's, that's, not, that's not God. God just knows. He's our creator. He's the one who's made each and every one of us. And he knows that when we let desire drive us, it takes us down the wrong path. And then we're down the path and we're asking ourselves this question, why did I do that? 
Why did I make those bonehead decisions? Why did I, why did I say that to her? Why did I go there? Why did I answer that phone call? God knows. And so he calls us to worship only him. So if you want to change what you do, you must change what you love. You must first change what you love. What you pursue, what, you're, what you worship. There's this interesting story in the book of Ezra. Oh, I'm kind of way over time, but I'll try to get through here pretty quick. In the book of Ezra, there's a story uh, of Ezra, and um, basically, this is during the Babylonian captivity. If you don't understand that, there's, there's this period of time where the Babylonians had overtaken the children of Israel, and that had basically, they, were, they, they had decimated the land, and then they took the brightest and the best of the, Isra- of the Israelites from Israel to Babylon, and that's where they were, and they were in captivity for 70 years. And so after 70 years, they began to come back to, back to Israel. They began to reestablish the country to, to build up the infrastructure again. And one of the tasks was to rebuild the temple of God. Well, Ezra comes into the picture towards the end of that, of that return to, to, to Israel. And his specific goal is to reestablish the worship of God in the temple. That's his specific goal. And when he gets there, it's kind of like a good news, bad news type of situation. Good news is that the temple has been rebuilt. The bad news is, is that the people, that, that the Israelites that were there, they had intermarried with different people groups that were around them. Now, this was actually incredibly forgive, uh, forbidden by God. Um, it may not sound like much for us because we're a big melting pot here, but God had said you can't intermarry. And it wasn't really a racial thing because they're pretty close in race as far as, their, as, far as who they were as people. It's just it was really a worship thing. They worship different gods. And God has said, you can't marry them because if you marry them, your heart goes in that direction. Your heart goes to worshiping those gods. Whether it's a little bit or a lot, it still goes in that direction. So he had, he had challenged him not to. And so Ezra shows up and he sees this. He realizes that, that these people have done that. And not only have they done that, but even the leadership, many of the leaders had done that as well. And here's how he responds to that in Ezra chapter 9, verse 3. He says, when I heard this, that they were basically worshiping, they were, had married other, other people and thus worshiping other gods. When I heard this, I tore my tunic and clothes. He basically ripped off clothes off his body, pulled hair from my head and beard, and sat down. I mean, how upset do you have to be to pull your own hair out of your head? And that's where Ezra's at because they were worshiping other gods. You see, throughout the Old Testament, there's this, there's this imagery that there is of God. They, he's, they relate him as a husband, a husband who's in pursuit of a bride, that his people are his bride, and God is our husband, and he's pursuing us. He's after us. He wants a relationship with us. But we see in the Old Testament story after story after story of this bride basically turning her back on her husband and going off after other things, other lovers. Probably one of the most, and some of you have experienced this, where a spouse, husband, or wife has cheated on you. It's probably one of the most psychologically traumatizing things that one can experience. Because there's so much invested. When, when, when you marry somebody and you're in a relationship with that person, you give your life over to them. They know every aspect of you. They know every part of you. When that person then turns their back and goes towards somebody else, 
it's incredibly painful, incredibly damaging. And this is really how God talks about this. This is the, the language that God is using. Verse 4, he says, then, then everyone who trembled at the words of the God of Israel gathered around me, because this is Ezra speaking, because of this unfaithfulness of the exiles. And I sat there appalled until the evening sacrifice. He uses the word unfaithfulness. That's a relationship term. Not a legal term. It's a relationship term. He could have said, he's appalled because they broke all the rules. That's not what he said. They're unfaithful. They've broken the relationship. <clears throat> then verse 2, there's this guy that shows up, Shechaniah. I'm trying to hurry through here. but Then Shechaniah, son of Jehiel, one of the descendants of Elam, said to Ezra, We have been unfaithful to our God by marrying foreign women from the people around us. Now, Shechaniah himself had not actually done this. He had not married others. He had basically, you know, uh, stayed righteous, but as a leader, he took responsibility and he repents on behalf of all the people. Now listen, I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to make this heavy this morning. I mean, you're probably sitting here and saying, Rich, come on, this is a new year. You should be happy. Let's just do fun things, you know, but, and I'm not trying to be heavy, but the truth is that there's not a single one of us in this room that at some point or another in our life, we have been unfaithful to our God. I know I have. And so God wants a relationship with us. He wants a restored relationship with each and every one of us. It's not wrong that there are other things in our life. The problem is priorities. The problem is where we have it in relationship to one another. See, we live very compartmentalized lives. We, we have our, our spiritual life over here. I go to church. I, I, give in the, I give in an offering at church. I do these things, you know. And then we have our other life. It's over here. And they're kind of apart from each other. And they're not really mixing with each other. And they're not really informing each other. And so we do some things over here that are convenient and we like it. And, we, and it's our desire is pushing after it. And then we go over here and we kind of have to put up a little bit of a front to be like, okay, yeah, I'm in church now. I gotta, you know, can't talk the way I talk normally at work. I can't, I can't say the things I did last week. You know, I have to kind of keep my, my religious persona going on. It's a compartmentalized life. That's not the kind of life that God wants for us. He wants one where it's intertwined, it's informed by each other. So listen, if you want a new year, new you, this is what's required. You have to change what you love. You have to change what you pursue. You have to change what you worship. You have to go after it. So Shekinah here in this passage in verse 2, he kind of gives us a word that I think is very appropriate for all of us. He says, then Shechaniah, son of Jehiel, one of the descendants of, of Elam, said to Ezra, we have been unfaithful to our God by marrying foreign women from the people around us. In other words, first, he recognizes his unfaithfulness. He recognizes their sin. And maybe that's where we're at right now for some of us in this room, is recognizing that my life, I've lived this compartmentalized life. I've lived a life that has been driven by my desires more than really what God's word teaches recognizing that first. But then I love this last, this is really what brought me to this verse. This is why I'm even talking about it this morning. But in spite of this, there's still hope for Israel, Shechaniah says. In spite of the betrayal, in spite of the ways that we have cheated on God, and maybe for some of you, it's even last night, 
In spite of all of that, there's still hope. There's still hope. There's still hope. So my prayer for you this morning is that you will walk out of here with hope. Hope. You see, we've been unfaithful. But here's the good news. God has never been unfaithful to us. God remains faithful to us. We go off in our own directions, but God is always in there. Hey, I love you. I care for you. I want a relationship with you. And in the story of Ezra, what we see here is that they separated themselves from those other gods, and they bring their lives into alignment. It's no more compartmentalization. They bring them together. Their spiritual walk informs their everyday life. Around here, we say, we have a little saying, come just as you are. And this really affirms this conviction that we have. That there's nothing, I mean nothing, 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 nothing that you can do that would have God say, whoa, 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 sorry, God. You, all of you, you're welcome, but not you. you. You just went too far. You've messed up too much. There's no way that I can forgive you. There's no way that you can ever have a relationship with me. There's nothing And so God invites you into a relationship. He invites you to come just as you are. So you're welcome here at Life Church. But more importantly, you're welcome to God. He wants you to come. But the second part of that phrase is come just as you are, but don't stay that way. And this is where we get honest with ourselves. That our desires, our pursuits, our idolatries have often taken us down a destructive path. The choices that we've made whether, whether we made those choices listening to good knowledge or not listening to good knowledge, but we're driven by our desires of taking us down a destructive path. God welcomes me. He does. But he wants me to change. This new year, there needs to be a new me. All right, John 14, 15 says this. If you love me, this is Jesus speaking. If you love me, Let's just change the word there. We can, it's interchangeable a little bit. If you pursue me, if you worship me, those words can be interchanged here in the context of what we're talking about. If you love me, you will obey my commandments. That's what Jesus says. It's amazing. It's amazing what we will do for love, right? Here Jesus basically saying, listen, there's a connection between love, pursuit, passion, worship, and what you will do. There's a connection. None of us in this room will ever do anything we don't want to do for the most part, right? I've discovered that as a pastor, trying to get you to join life groups, for example, or whatever. If you don't want to do it, you're not going to do it. Because desire is driving. Jesus says, if you love me, you will do what I command, right? Again, it's amazing what you're willing to do when you love someone. You know this, right? I mean, if, it's amazing what you're willing to do for your kids, for example, right? I mean, why? Because you love them. I mean, before you had kids, you thought you had a happy life and everything. All of a sudden, you have kids, and you're like, wow, we have kids, and it's stressful and all kinds of stuff, but you're willing to get up in the middle of the night because they're sick. You start changing dirty diapers and you're like, I used to puke at dirty diapers when I'd even, if I got, got the whiff of it, I would puke. At it. Now, now I'm just blindly, yeah, was it you? somebody was telling me a story, of, I think it was you, where like a poop just popped up on, 
You know, they're just like, matter of fact, like just take it off and just go back to changing diapers. You know, like, this is like you, the things that you do for love. You double your budget when you have kids just because you love them. And also because if you drop them off in the middle of the woods at night, child protection services might come after you, but <laughs> mostly you love them, right? <laughs> Listen, you want to find the most amazing motivation to change, to have a new you in life in this year, for 2019 to be the best year ever, and change what you love. Change what you love. As we begin this new year, I want to just challenge us to corporately just go after God. And I'm leading the way. I tell you what, I've been talking to my staff and talking to just different people about how I'm ready to just go all out for God personally. And I want to challenge you to do the same. To bring your life back into alignment. Start chasing after God. When you chase after God, this could be the best year of your life. Amen. Let's all stand. We're going to pray. (laughs) Next week, we're going to be talking about life groups. Around here, you hear me talk about this all the time, rows and circles, how we are to grow spiritually. We have to be sitting in rows, and we have to be sitting in circles. Right here, Sunday morning, this is rows. You are sitting in rows right now. You're back, you're, you're sitting there, you're looking at me, you're hearing me talk about all kinds of things. Sometimes it's beneficial to you. Sometimes you're like, yeah, Rich, I'm not really dealing with that. It means nothing to you. There's not really a dialogue going on. It's just me saying stuff to you. And it's important because of the community aspect. You're here, you're, you're in a larger group, you're, you're being inspired. God, the Holy Spirit is working in you to inspire you to go after him. You also need to be sitting in circles. And that's where you're sitting with a few like-minded people that that all are saying, God, I'm just I want to I want a new year in 2019. I mean a new me in 2019. I don't want business as usual anymore. I don't want to go through the same relational difficulties I had last year. I want to go th- I don't want to go through the same financial difficulties I had last year. I don't want to go through all of that anymore. God, I want to be in a relationship with you that is moving ahead and th- I could at the end of 2019 say this was the best year ever in my life. But it starts with changing what you love, what you pursue. Amen. I'm going to pray for you. We're going to pray and if you're here this morning, two people really, some of you here listening to me are like, okay, yeah, Rich, I know I, I, there's a historical moment in my life where I can go back of the, the time where I gave my life to Jesus. I remember that. I clearly remember when I gave my life to Christ. And, uh, but maybe time has passed and there's a little bit of a dissonance between that moment and where you are now. And... Uh, maybe what the Holy Spirit's trying to tell you this morning is that you need to bring those back in alignment to each other. That the early passions that you had for Christ should be your passions today. But then there's another group of you here that you sat through this service saying, I have no idea what they're talking about. (laughs) Why do I have to do any of this? Why is this any of this stuff important to me? And maybe you're here, you just really don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You've never really surrendered your heart to Christ. And that's really what the gospel calls for is a surrendered life.
Not one of a distance with God where I, I know about God or I believe in God out there. No, that's not what, what's, what we're invited to. We're invited into a surrendered life where we say, God, I've run the course of my life. I've made so many bonehead decisions. I'm divorced now. I'm, I'm financially broke. I've made all kinds of financial mistakes. Or maybe you've done all kinds, but you're just not, there's no joy, there's no peace, there's no happiness. It starts with saying, God, here's my life. Take it. I surrender it to you. Amen? So as we pray, I'm asking you to simply pray one way or the other. If you're here, say, God, I, I'm bringing my life into alignment. But if you're here this morning, you've never given your life to Christ, you can simply say, Jesus, here I am. Take my life. Today's a brand new day. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, for your goodness, your grace, your loving kindness. We thank you, Father, that oh, even though we have been unfaithful, God, you have always been faithful. You have loved us, Father. It says that you died for us while we were still sinners. God, while we were still in our sin, you gave your life for us. And so today, Father, we affirm that, we recognize that, and we make a choice to not just work on the external things, but to work on the heart. So today we surrender our heart to you, Jesus every aspect of it. We bring our lives into alignment to the things that we profess and the things that we actually do. And we ask you, Father, to bless that, to make this year the best year ever. In Jesus' name, amen.